Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the Resource Room Podcast, where today we are going to be talking all about some mistakes that we make with progress monitoring. A couple of weeks ago, I also did an episode about the mistakes that we make with small group intervention, whether that be reading, math, spelling, whatever. And you know, if you listen to that, that I don't really love the word mistakes because I think it sounds kind of grumpy and negative and that's not the vibe I'm trying to go with. To be honest, I'm more trying to be very transparent and share the mistakes, the things that I have done wrong and now three years, five years, 10 years later, I know they were mistakes. I know that they were things making my life harder. And so I just wanna share that with you today so that you know, oh wow, there could be a better way. I've gotta rethink this. And maybe I am making progress monitoring more miserable than what it has to be. This is also the first episode of four that are all about progress monitoring. So whether you are still on summer vacation when this goes live, or you're just getting back after school has started for you, depending on when you go, I want you to be able to begin the year with a really good plan for progress monitoring. And so that's my hope with these four episodes. And in order to have a good plan, I think we have to start with some things that may be we're doing that are making things a little bit harder than they have to be. And if you're like me, I am really, really good at working hard, which is both good and bad, to be honest. But it's included here as a mistake because I think that this is something that a lot of special education teachers are doing. They are not afraid to be the hardest working person in the building. They are not afraid to put everybody else ahead of them and, you know, help students, help parents, help gen ed teachers, help everybody else. And then they're left last. And in my mind, that's why we're at school until late in the evening. That's why we're going in on the weekends. That's why we might be going in over Christmas break or spring break to get those progress reports done or to get those lesson plans done. We're not afraid of hard work. And so I say it as literally it can be good or it can be bad. If you are working your tail off, which is then in turn making you stressed, that's a mistake. Being a hard worker and being somebody who is dedicated is fabulous. So I don't want you to lose that. But I do want you to think long and hard as you listen to some of these other mistakes and see if any of them might be coming back to this one, which kind of leads me right into the next mistake, which is using your paraprofessionals to help you with that. Sometimes I feel like we're such control freaks and 
hardworking, that we don't utilize other people to help us, when in fact, they could be making it much easier on our well-being and on the whole of what we're trying to accomplish in our classrooms. And again, you know me if you've listened to more than one episode of this podcast, you know I'm a control freak and you know that I don't ask other people for help. But as I did all of these interviews this year, and as I've talked to so many special education teachers, I'm like, dear God, I, first off, I'm not alone. A lot of people do that. But I just got this sense that so many other teachers are relying on their paraprofessionals to do things that I was not. And so I was making progress monitoring a lot harder than it had to be because I was doing it all. And so once I finally decided, okay, I, can, I have a great instructional assistant. In fact, she's a retired teacher. So why I am such a control freak, I don't know, but it's just who I am. So this last nine weeks of the school year, I decided, you know what? I've got to give it a whirl. I've got to try something. And so simultaneously, I was working with my reading intervention to create a teacher's guide where I had progress monitoring that would just be built in or like a page that I could copy on the back. And so I thought, you know what, I'm gonna copy those on the back every three weeks. And whenever my instructional assistant is working on sight words with them, I'm gonna have her assess them on their sight words because that's what they're doing with her every day anyway. And then I am going to assess their decoding because that's what I'm working on with them every day. And so it just worked, guys. Why did I not do it sooner? We were done so quickly. She's so good at it. So I don't know why I was holding on to that so much. But it saved me a ton of time. And in fact, I have more data than I need because we assessed, it was the end of the year also, which I think is kind of nice to have some good data as I'm planning for what am I going to do the next year. But I had great data that I really, I had more than what I needed because not all of my kids had decoding and sight word goals. In fact, some might have had like a written expression goal or a reading comprehension goal and not either of those two things but I still had that data. I still knew what they could do because we were just incorporating it into what we were doing every day and we had it. But that took me entrusting her to actually do it and do it well. And I just had to kind of show her and guide her through what my expectations were. To be honest, I did not put this as the first mistake because it's the biggest, but I do hear this mistake all the time. And I'm guilty of it myself. So this is the pot calling the kettle black here, guys. I know that this is a mistake that a lot of us make. But by experimenting and doing a little bit of training and figuring out a system, maybe you could make your life a little bit easier by turning over some of that control to an instructional aid if you have one. My second mistake is not having a good plan for what you're going to do. Now, without recalling everything that I shared in my webinar, I would rather just link that so that you could watch the thing in its entirety and really get all of the points. Some of us do not have a clear plan at the beginning of the year. 
And so when we start the year like that, all of a sudden it's the end of that first nine weeks and you have to send home progress reports and you don't have squat collected. And that's not okay. That is just adding unnecessary pressure to yourself. So we have to, from the beginning of the year, have a good plan and some good organizational practices in play so that it's not the end of the first nine weeks or the end of the first semester. And suddenly you're like, uh, uh, I should have been collecting data. Oops, I'm not ready. And either you're making up data, which we never want, or you're stressed at the last minute to collect some of that data. So you have to have a really, really solid plan for what are you going to do. And again, that I dive deep into a webinar, which I can link in the show notes. I don't want this to be the longest podcast episode where I veer off topic. I want to stay on track with these are some mistakes, not having a plan. If you want a plan, I can share that in the webinar, though. The third mistake is something that I feel we as special education teachers have 100% control over, and yet sometimes we're choosing to make things harder on ourselves than we have to. Here is my example. Let's say I have a student who needs to work on math facts. I could give them 20 or 30 math facts, you know, addition or subtraction within 20, I could give them 20 or 30 math facts, whatever I want that goal to be. And it might take them forever. Depending on your student, doing 20 math facts could take them quite a while. Maybe they're using their fingers or touch points or a hundreds chart or a number line. And they're using that tool because they lack that memorization piece or that's challenging for them. It's something that they're working on, which is why you write the goal, right? We're trying to help them improve in that area. So when it comes time to progress monitor, you might be taking five to 10 minutes, maybe more for them to do those 20 problems, which is fine if you have unlimited time. But I don't know about you. I don't have unlimited time. I used to write goals just like that, where I would give them 20 problems or I would give them 10 problems or whatever the case might be. I would give them a lot. And then one day, for whatever reason, I gave a student a one minute time test goal and it was so much easier to progress monitor. So then that next round or that next nine weeks, I'm like, why in the heck did I give student A this 20 problem goal and student B this one minute time test? That goal is so much easier to progress monitor. In fact, it's something that we do every day So I don't even have to stop what I'm doing in order to progress monitor that goal. I can just do it while we're doing our everyday thing. And without being dramatic, that's the day my life changed. Because it's like, how many other goals am I doing like this that I'm making it harder on myself than it has to be? So I believe some of our goals that we write, to be honest, they just suck. We have to stop writing goals that suck. We have to look at our goals. And sometimes as teachers, we have big egos and we don't don't always want to look inward. We want to look at the students or the school or the parents and find faults in them. Sometimes we have to look at ourselves and be like, oh, Amanda, progress monitoring is terrible because you write crappy goals. 
Sometimes that's what we have to do. So look at the goals that you're writing and see what could you be doing differently? How could you work on the same skill, but make it easier to progress monitor? Because at the end of the day, if it's taking that student such a long time to work on those 20 problems that I give to them, if it's taking them a long time to do that, their score is probably going to be pretty low on that one minute time test. And so with that, I could give them that time test and maybe initially their baseline score is like a one or two problems in a minute. Maybe the goal is only five or seven problems in a minute. Either way, they're making progress on their math facts. Why do I need to do 20 problems in order for them to accomplish that? We could do it in a minute. We could do it in our daily routine and call it quits. The last and final mistake that I want to talk about today is, again, something that we as special education teachers have 100% control over, yet sometimes we do it to ourselves anyway, and we give our students too many goals. In some of your districts or the systems that you use, maybe you call them benchmarks or objectives, whatever, sometimes we give too freaking many. I better watch it. I'm really getting out of control. I usually try to keep my sass under control on the podcast, but I'm slipping a little bit here. Now, we are in full control of this. So why on earth are we giving 10 goals? I've written them myself. I've inherited crappy IEPs where they have so many. And honestly, this is the weird part. If I write it, it's okay. But if I inherit one, I'm cussing the person as to like, why did they put so many goals in this? Even though there's an IEP that I wrote that's just like it. So we've all done it. We're all guilty from time to time. But I want you to think long and hard about what is that student's true area of weakness that you need to target. Here's my example. And I've seen it both ways. Again, I've written it both ways. Let's take a student with dyslexia who more than likely any reading ability that they have probably is relying a lot on a strength in memorization. So we might say they need a goal for sight words because we need to just memorize, 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 memorize. There are issues with that. We won't get off on that tangent. But sometimes we might say, let's play to their strengths and really help them improve their sight word fluency so that they're able to read more passages. The other side of that coin then is, okay, if they have dyslexia, then decoding and phonological awareness and some of those types of things are probably very, very big deficits for them. So maybe we should give them a goal on that. And some teachers will give them a goal on all those things that I just listed. They'll give them an area or a goal on the areas that are hard for them, like phonics, you know, some of those decoding, knowing those graphemes. Maybe they'll give them something on phonemic or phonological awareness, breaking down those words, things like that. And then they'll also give them a goal for sight words because they know that's a strength. Literally, guys, this is the rationale that I've, I've given to myself and to parents as I'm giving them all of these goals. 
that way I can say, okay, I know these areas are really hard for them, but I don't want to lose sight of sight words. I do think that is a weakness or a strength for them that we need to work on improving. I don't want to see them fall behind while we spend a year trying to decode a CVC word or whatever. I've done it. But in reality, my routine that I'm doing every day could encompass the sight words, but I don't necessarily need a progress report that I'm going to send home to a parent every nine weeks and monitor every other week or every three weeks when I know that's a strength for that student. And if I just sit in front of them and have some good solid instruction, that area will grow because clearly they've gotten this far without that small group instruction memorizing those sight words. Good for them. The hard part is all of that decoding, all of that phonemic awareness and phonological awareness and weaknesses that we know are because of their dyslexia. So my advice is to stop giving all those goals. Stop focusing on all the things and hone in on what is that student's true area of weakness. If you could work on one thing to help them become a better reader or better at doing math or whatever, you know, writing, behavior, whatever it is. What is that one thing? And that's your goal. We also know that we do have parents who, if they're used to 10 goals or eight goals or whatever, and you show up there with one for reading and one for math or whatever, they might poop their pants. Okay. And we don't need that. We don't need to tick off parents to make our lives easier. However, in most cases, parents will understand and be totally fine with that. And in the scenario that you have a difficult parent, then give them all the goals. That's fine. But at least now you have one kid with all the goals or two or three kids with all the goals and not a whole caseload of 30 with all the goals. And honestly, when we think about why progress monitoring is overwhelming, I want you to think about maybe which of these mistakes is the big one that you're making. I hope not all of them, but I'll be honest, I've made all of them. Let's say all of my kids have an average of five goals. At one point in time, I had 47 kids on my caseload. Now I'm much lower than that, so I can't even be that dramatic of 47 kids, but I've been there. If every single one of those 47 kids had five goals that I had to progress monitor, that would be 235 goals that I have to progress monitor on every nine weeks. Then if you consider, okay, 235 goals, but I'm actually progress monitoring three times per nine weeks, that's 705 data points that I have to take time collecting, take time recording, enter into the computer. That's nuts. Let's be real. That's crazy. So if I could cut that, obviously five is not an even number. I can't cut it in half evenly. But even if I gave students just three goals each, now I only have 141 goals that I have to progress monitor. Already, it's so much smaller. That's still a lot of goals, but it's doable. It's manageable. 
And so then when I think about 141 goals times three data points, that's 423 pieces of data that I have to collect. 423 things that I have to record on my chart and things that I have to put into the computer to generate that progress report. So we have to be smarter and figure out how can we make this easier. Without going backwards then, if I also start thinking about mistake number three, which is that sometimes we write some really crappy goals that take a whole lot longer than they have to, then let's take all of those data points that I have to collect. And if it takes me like four or five or 10 minutes to do, that's a lot of time. No wonder we feel stressed. No wonder we're like, holy cow, how do I get all this done? If I can do it in one minute or less, then it, that's, I mean, like to me, the minimum amount of time. Look at the time that you're saving there. Look at how much lighter you might feel by having a good plan, writing some good goals, not writing so many goals. How much could that make things easier for you? And if on top of that, instead of you being the sole keeper and the sole collector of all the data, you utilize some of your help and support staff to also collect data, oh, maybe progress monitoring wouldn't be so bad. If any of these points have really kind of driven home like, oh, maybe I'm the problem with progress monitoring. Maybe I'm why it is so terrible then I wanna help you get a good plan in place. And so I have a webinar. I really already have done it. Um, the week that I'm recording this, I did it twice earlier in the week. And by the time this goes live, it'll be a couple of weeks old. However, you can still watch that on replay at any time by clicking that link in the show notes. So here's what the webinar is about. I share in the webinar three things that you can do right now, because I'm assuming that you're going to listen to this as soon as it goes live in the middle of the summer. What are three things that you can do right now? Or you could take a break. And when you go back in August or September, whenever you go back, what are those three things that you can do now so that progress monitoring is easier all year long? So if you need those three things, they're all so simple, none of them are crazy, and honestly could probably be done in maybe an hour or so. So if you need those things, grab the link in the show notes, and then next week I'll be back diving in to reading comprehension goals and kind of how to write them, what to write, and how to make progress monitoring easier with reading comprehension goals. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.